One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hello, and welcome to a brand new episode of Germany in Focus, where we dig into the biggest news stories and talking points. We're recording this on Wednesday, October 26th. Today, we're talking about why Germany and Chancellor Olaf Scholz are being warned against business deals with China. We'll be looking into the childcare crisis that's affecting families across Germany. And we're also getting into the mood for Halloween by hearing about some of the spookiest areas in the country. And we're going to talk about whether Germany is heading into a recession and what that actually means for people and their jobs. We'll also let you know the German youth word of the year and some other words that young people are apparently using. I'm Rachel Loxton, one of the editors at The Local Germany, and I'm joined in Berlin by journalists Imogen Goodman and Aaron Burnett. I'll also be chatting to history and culture expert Mike Stutchbury later on, and he's based in Stuttgart. Hello, everyone. Hi. Hello. So we have Diwali going on this week, and we have Halloween coming up on October 31st. Are either of you doing anything for these occasions? Yeah, actually, um, I'm quite excited. I've got a Halloween party to go to. Um, I haven't quite decided what costume I'm wearing yet, but I do have a few days to decide. There's always the backup bedsheet eye holes option. So yeah. that's my plan. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Well, I have to say one thing I love about Germany is that Halloween is not nearly as big a thing here as it is in North America, where I'm from. And I love that because uh, Halloween is really my least favorite holiday, and I hate dressing up. <laughs> that is the truth. There are many better occasions, I think, to spend a ridiculous amount of money that on a costume that makes you look equally ridiculous. So I'll be watching scary movies with wine instead, mm -hmm. or perhaps headed to a Berlin club to take advantage of an extra hour of partying because the clocks go back this weekend, everyone. That's right. Yeah. That's right. You got to set your clock back on Saturday in the early hours between Saturday and Sunday. And it's worth noting that in Germany, October 31st is also Reformation Day. And that is a public holiday in Eastern German states and a few others. And then, of course, you have All Saints Day on November 1st. And this is a public holiday in a few states, including Baden-Württemberg, Bavaria and North Rhine-Westphalia. Let's look at who's been in the news this week. And we're talking about German Chancellor Olaf Scholz, who's in the Social Democrats, first of all. So he's in the spotlight after supporting a deal to allow Chinese investment in a Hamburg port, despite warnings from the German government and the EU. Aaron, what are the latest developments in this story? So the German government has just greenlit a deal that would allow Costco, which is a shipping company owned and backed by the Chinese government, to buy up about a 25% stake in the port of Hamburg, which is where Olaf Scholz used to be mayor. Now, Scholz originally pushed to allow for a 35% stake, so this is a little bit less But there's plenty of people in Olaf Scholz's own government that say that even this is a huge mistake. So they have a, what, 24.9% stake. That's the 
Right, Deal yeah. Great. And it, basically just about everyone in German politics other than Schultz says this is a mistake of, even that figure mm-hmm. is a mistake of gargantuan epic proportions, whether that's the foreign ministry, the defense ministry, the economics ministry, the heads of Germany's intelligence agencies, Germany's allies, the European Union, and also both parties that govern with Olaf Schultz's social democrats. The liberal FDP says it's a big mistake to allow China China into German critical infrastructure at all. A port is certainly that. Uh, The Greens, even back to the election last year, campaigned on the idea of really disentangling Germany from being too dependent on China. And that really gets into concerns that the German public has even now. And and so why are business deals with China causing such a fierce debate in Germany? So it starts with concerns that China, an authoritarian state, could eventually have enough influence over German businesses and the German economy in general to start blackmailing German politicians into doing what they want. I mean, in a way, that sort of influence has already been evident for quite some time. I mean, how often do you hear a high-ranking German politician mention Tibet or the Dalai Lama, uh, Chinese threats to Taiwan, or the detention of China's Muslim minority in forced labor camps? This has been going on for some time. Now, though, Germans are looking at Russia's invasion of Ukraine. They're seeing how much uh, that dependence getting away from being dependent on Russia is hitting the household budget, whether that's much higher electricity bills, much higher grocery bills, much higher gas bills. And the public is really saying, look, it's time for us to be less dependent on authoritarian regimes in general because we know what can happen. A recent poll finds that uh, 84%, yes, 84% of Germans want the country to distance itself from China economically. That's a huge figure considering what Olaf Schultz is allowing. Wow, that is huge. Um, But Olaf Schultz is planning to visit China soon, right, to try and get some more business deals. So this doesn't seem in step with the public opinion. No. Olaf Schultz is headed to China in early November, right after the Communist Party Congress, which was just held. And he'll be the first G7 leader to visit the country since the COVID-19 pandemic started. He'll be bringing a lot of German CEOs with him, whether that's uh, Siemens, Volkswagen, for example. And they'll really have their hands out for Chinese money. Uh, Volkswagen is already particularly dependent on China for about 40% of its sales. It employs a lot of Germans, and that makes people like Olaf Schultz quite nervous. Wow. Yeah, what's um, actually really incredible about this is that all of these deals and the Hamburg port deal really come just weeks after we saw attacks on the two major Nord Stream pipelines, Nord Stream 1 and 2. Now, we don't know who's behind those, but what we do know is that critical infrastructure has become a real target for hostile actors in these international conflicts. So if you think about the dependence on Russia and how hard it was to move away from Russian gas, we were successful in that, but it took a while and it was incredibly painful. But compared to Russia, the dependence on China is just really a completely different ballgame. It's one thing uh, transferring your uh, gas production. It's another thing entirely to rebuild an entire 5G network. Really interesting. Thank you so much for that update, Aaron. And thank you, Imogen. Any parents listening will no doubt be very familiar with the stress of finding a nursery spot for their child in Germany. And according to a new report, it's going to get worse. 
the Bertelsmann Foundation says there is likely to be a shortage of about 384,000 Kita places, that's childcare places, across Germany in 2023. So this issue is not new. It's actually not uncommon for parents to try and get a Kita place before they've even given birth in some cases. But it really seems like it's getting critical. Why is it so hard to find childcare in Germany, Imogen? Well, uh, yeah, as you say, this has been a problem for a while, but it's getting worse by the year. Um, So there are about 770,000 babies born each year in Germany. And basically, the the level of demand is just outstripping supply. There aren't enough kitas in most states. And this is an absolutely classic German problem. There just isn't enough staff. So what that means is you've got a massive shortfall of uh, kita places. And that's just putting a huge strain on parents who may just have to return to their jobs after maternity or paternity leave. Are there any places in the country where it's really difficult to get a Kita spot? Yep, absolutely. What we're seeing here is a massive east-west divide. Uh, So in the western states, which are actually a lot more populous, we have the biggest shortfall. And by next year, Bertelsmann predicts that they might be missing about 360,000 Kita places. In the eastern states, it's not great, but the figure is more like 21,000. So you can see this huge difference there. Absolutely. And in... uh, Nordrhein-Westphalia, which is actually the most populous state in Germany. More than 100,000 Kita places are estimated to be missing by next year. That's interesting. And that's to do with the population, is it? Absolutely. Uh, It seems like it is linked to population. So former Eastern German states uh, basically account for about 20% of the German population um, as a whole. And in the Western states, it's about 80%. So really is a case of where there are a lot of people, a lot of people having children, um, there are just not enough key to places right now. Has anyone found any solutions or are there any recommendations for how to deal with this? Yeah, well, um, Bertelsmann did actually come up with a few proposals um, in their study. A few of those are kind of short-term measures. Uh, so they basically say that if you reduce the amount of childcare hours that each child is entitled to, then basically you have more access to childcare for more children. They also suggest that basically staff in these kitas should be spending a lot more time on looking after children and a lot less time on the bureaucratic day-to-day tasks. Mm -hmm. Um, In the long term, what they're suggesting is kind of a hiring offensive. So they say we need about 93,000 specialists in the West and about 5,000 in the East. And they say that the government could use part of a 2 billion fund from the Daycare Quality Act to build new kitas, um, which are desperately needed. And and do you think that parents in Germany should be doing anything in particular at the moment? Yeah, there's obviously a limited amount of control that parents have. But I would say the best thing to do is just to try and give yourself as much time as possible uh, to find a place. Uh, research keters, find out how the system works in your state. Um, often there'll be a centralised database where you can put your preferences for childcare. So, for instance, whether you want a Tagesmutter, so a kind of nanny, or a keter place, uh, whether your child should go for half days or full days. Another thing that I would say is that it's really, really important to know your rights. Uh, so parents do have the right to get advice and support from their local Jugendamt. And you also have the right to object to a decision if you're denied a place. What's really great is that you can find templates for these objection or complaints letters on the internet. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that can be really, really helpful if you need a bit of support there. The last thing that I would say is that you can 
often get compensation for private childcare if you have no other options. Uh, so it's really, really good to just keep a record of everything you've done to try and find a place so you have that evidence to present to the Jugendamt if you need it. What kind of childcare are children in Germany entitled to? So uh, basically since 2013, every child over the age of one in Germany has been legally entitled to at least partially subsidised childcare. So that kind of varies across different states. Uh, some, like Berlin, will fund it entirely. Others will have different types of funding for children who are kind of preschool age and children who are toddlers. But the general rule to know is that over the age of one, they're entitled to at least a partially funded place. And one aspect about childcare in Germany that is very interesting for our readers and listeners is Sprachkitas, which are language kindergartens, and these help kids develop their German language skills. But the funding for these is due to end this year. Imogen, do we know what happens after this point? Yeah, well, unfortunately, the federal government seems pretty firm in its decision to end the Sprachkita program at the end of the year. So that's a real shame for parents who really uh, want their children to get that multi multicultural environment from a really young age. As in many cases at the moment, what they're basically saying is that the federal states need to take responsibility for keeping the funding going. But at a time when states are also battling big holes in their finances, it's sadly often these cultural and educational programs that are just the first to go. Mm -hmm. um, luckily, there is the Good Kitas Fund, which um, is some extra funding for 2023 and 2024, which could help keep some of them afloat. And you might find that some Kitas who maybe already have members of bilingual staff or, you know, language specialists may keep these on. The sad thing is that obviously it's quite expensive to have specialised staff on board. So it just really depends whether they can afford it. Excellent. Thank you so much for that update. With Halloween just around the corner, now is the time to think about creepy castles, ghosts and haunted houses. And Germany has got plenty of them. Here's German history expert Mike Stutchberry, who's based in Stuttgart, to tell us about a few of the spookiest places that we're all going to have to visit if we're brave enough. Mike, what is the first scariest place in Germany that you're going to tell us about? Okay, so the first place that I wanted to introduce you to was the Festung Marienberg, which is in Würzburg. It sits above the town and looks very scary, so it's, it's already fitting the bill. It has a particularly strange and uh, some would say very strange and um, unlikely ghost. So people usually expect the castles are sort of haunted by knights or maidens whose husbands left them to go on the crusades or stuff like that. But uh, in this case is a nun, and her name is Maria Renata Singer von Mossau. And she was what was called the prioress of a convent in a Bavarian town called Unterzell, which is way in the east, sort of over Bayern. And she was the prioress of, of her little convent for, for many, many years until all of a sudden around 1746, when uh, she was in her uh, 60s, nuns in her convent started to do all sorts of strange things, convulsing, yelling, screaming, meowing like cats. That's, that's written in some of the records. According to the stories, everything was just going completely crazy in, in, in the Interzell convent. So she was uh, basically taken to Würzburg and there was an interrogation. You, you can't see it, but I'm doing big 
quotation marks. <laughs> and it was an investigation, again, with the, uh, the quotation marks. And apparently she confessed that she was a witch. She'd always been a witch. Not only was she a witch, she was the boss of a, of a, of a coven of witches, that she, she had all the gear. She liked using poison. Poison was a really big, scary thing at this particular time. There was a thing called aqua tefana. Women would use it to kill their husbands. So everything that could be scary about this woman was put out there. Eventually, she was found guilty in, in the fortress. Um, Prince Bishop was the person who was in charge. And uh, she, she was taken out. Uh, she lost her head and then they burned her. Oh, my goodness. Now, this is pretty grim. But the thing that's really shocking about this is that this took place in the 18th century. So this is like less than 300 years ago. Basically, reports of her losing her head and, and, and basically being burnt at the stake were sent all over Europe. And it functionally ended witch trials in Europe because we thought people thought, you know, we don't do this kind of stuff anymore. It was shocking at the time. It was a real big story. But apparently she still haunts the, the Festung of the fortress above Würzburg and wanders the halls. And if you're there at night, which you're not likely to be, you might see her. And she apparently looks very mad and very full of wrath. So I, I think she was uh, particularly uh, done by, and I, I would suggest that investigations later found that there might be a bit of a financial motive in finding her a witch. Wow, that is so interesting. No wonder she is haunting that place, if indeed she is. And now we're heading to the Frauenkirche in, in Munich, is that right? Yep. Okay, so that's one of the, probably one of the most recognisable uh, landmarks in, in Munich. It sort of dominates the skyline. This is a really tragic story, and it sort of actually involves one of Germany's great literary heroes. In the 18th century, there was a woman called uh, Fanny von Ichstadt, a young woman, very young. Um, she was actually a teenager, so yeah. Um, she fell in love with a, a soldier who was eight years older than her. We would be, we would think that this is pretty suspicious these days. Her mother, Francisca, didn't really agree with Fanny falling in love with this guy and she tried to do everything that she could to stop the marriage from happening. And she succeeded because in the end, the soldier, Franz, seduced her, seduced the mother. So Fanny was distraught. And um, in 1785, one day she went up to the, the, the top of the tower, the Frauenkirche, and when her, her nurse or her servant her back was turned. Um, Fanny jumped off the tower and basically died on impact. Now, this involves Goethe, who the great playwright and poet had written a, a book called The Sorrows of Young Werther. And this book was uh, notorious across Germany because in this book, a young man takes his life after being heartbroken. And people were genuinely afraid of this book because they thought it was inspiring young people to kill themselves across the German-speaking lands. This would go on for many, many years, this, this fear. When they went to Fanny's house to sort of collect her belongings and go through that stuff, they found the sorrows of young Werther on her on her bedside table. So this really added to the panic as well. Some people still swear that if you go up there and some, you know, stay around the Tower of the Frauenkirche long enough, you might hear her scream or you might sort of see a figure sort of leap off. I don't really like Goethe. I don't think he's a very nice guy. He, he's said to have come to Munich the next year and uh, he was told the story. And, uh, he, you know, we have his diary. So he, he basically said the next day, oh, well, I went to the Frauenkirche woman jumped off. What a shame. That's all he said. I, you know, having spent a lot of time in England and spent a lot of time in Germany, I find that the German horror stories or the German ghost stories and the tales of tragedy are far more severe, far more confronting in many ways. But I do have one with a happy ending. <laughs> <laughs> that one's in Munich. And and how old? She was 17, wasn't she? she was 17 when she died, yeah. Yes. Yeah, that is that is tragic. Okay, please tell us the the one with the happy ending, Mike. Okay, the happy ending. I thought I, I thought that I had to have a, a happy ending to sort of close things off. Uh, so this one's fairly close to me. I live in Stuttgart, but I live in, on the, to the south of Stuttgart, and I'm often in the Black Forest. So I, I thought that I sort of should shine a light on something that was fairly ob obscure. But I, I do like this story. So in the mid 19th century, in a very small village 
I'm not going to call it a town, in a village called Mottlingen, uh, there was a, a woman with the name of Gottlieben Ditus, which is a very Swabian name, very religious name, sort of means God's love. Um, and uh, she was a star Sunday school pupil. She was sort of destined for a life either being married to a priest or helping a priest as an assistant. Her favourite priest was replaced. And she was, okay, very disappointed to start with. But then things started to go a little bit over the top. You couldn't all be sort of blamed on her, you know. She wasn't just sad, but then all of a sudden there was rumbling through the village. There were reports of ghosts. She would start talking with different voices. Everything went very exorcist all of a sudden. She appeared to be possessed. Weird things were turning up. See, she was said to be vomiting up nails and other things like that, which is for that time in the region, that's, you know, people really didn't like talking about this kind of stuff. So it was very, very severe and very, very scary for these people. And this went on for two years in this little village of Motling, and people would actually come to sort of see it. So she was a bit of a, a tourist attraction. And her, her sister and her brother started to sort of seem like they were going the same way. But this new priest spent a lot of time with Godleben and her brother and her sister. And eventually, after two years, things seemed to sort of calm down. And not only did she survive, but she went on to be the, the, the assistant to the pastor for the next 30 years. And she went on to have uh, three, three kids. And of course, uh, you know, that would have been a fairly traumatic experience for everyone, but she seemed to deal with it very well. And she talked to anybody who wanted to know about her, her experience of being possessed by a devil. There were actually quite a few books written about it. And if you go to the website of the church today, they, they even talk about it very frankly and openly. And they have all sorts of theories about what might have been going on. Wow. So it all worked out for Gottlieben, but there's still lots of stories and she's talked about today. So, so people can visit their church. You still mentioned today, but I would say that this area is still very religious. And, um, you know, we, we all talk about Germany as a very modern and very um, forward-thinking nation, but it doesn't take too much. You don't have to drive too far to go to some areas that are still very religious and where folklore is taken very seriously. So, <laughs> Yeah, Mike, that is absolutely fascinating. Thank you so much. I, I think you've given a really great picture of the kind of history of Germany and the very tragic tales and, the, and some of the haunted places that people can visit. Mm. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Mike Stutchbury there. That was brilliant. We'll include a link in the show notes to an article on our top five haunted spots in Germany. Our Germany in Focus podcast is free to listen to, but it's only made possible by readers becoming members of the local Germany. If you're not yet a member, you can support us by heading to the local.de and subscribing with the reduced rate for podcast listeners at the local.de forward slash podcast offer. So the cost of living has been going up for months in Germany, but lately there have also been warnings that Germany is heading towards a recession. But what would this look like and what will it mean for people living here? Imogen, what actually qualifies as a recession and are we guaranteed to see one in Germany? Yeah, so there are some uh, different definitions of a recession, but the main one that's often uh, referred to as a technical recession is basically when the economy shrinks for two consecutive quarters in a row. This was something that Germany narrowly avoided at the end of last year, but now economists are saying that it's very, very likely to happen um, in autumn and winter and into next year. Uh, so the latest data from the economics ministry suggests that the economy will grow by 1.4% this year, but next year it'll likely shrink by 0.4%. 
bad news. Um, mm. So Germany is known for being one of the most powerful economies in the world, but recent figures show how it's really suffering, right? Absolutely. There was actually an amazing graph that was uh, produced by Bloomberg the other day, which shows that the US state of California is now actually on track to overtake Germany's economy. This is really incredible when you think that Germany is the largest economy in Europe. When you also consider that California is a state of about 40 million people compared to Germany's 84 million. Wow, that is fascinating and just really shows the impact of the energy crisis and the cost of living crisis is having on the economy. So as we've seen, prices of so many things have been going up in Germany because of inflation. It's at around 10% now. So this is obviously not the news we want to hear. How would a recession affect people's lives? Yeah, well, uh, actually, when a recession hits, a few things tend to happen at once. And one of the major things is job losses. So there was a survey the other day that actually showed that a quarter of German companies are currently planning to let people go in the near future. You then get lower job security, borrowing gets more expensive, it can be harder to get things like mortgages, credit cards, and demand for products and services drops, so businesses start to struggle. Another really unfortunate consequence of a recession is that wages tend to to drop. And that's largely because people just don't have the bargaining power they used to when there's a recession. Mm-hmm. If you think of this, it, it this way, um, if businesses are desperate to get more staff on board and fill jobs when times are good, then workers have a fair bit of leverage. If businesses, on the other hand, are cutting jobs left, right and centre, it's really hard for workers to start arguing for higher wages. Yeah, and I've heard of some startups in Berlin downsizing already. Is there anything that people can do to prepare for a recession? Well, obviously, everyone's situation is different, but I would just say, no, you're right. You know, one great thing about Germany is that workers' rights are pretty strong, and so is the welfare state. On the other hand, if at all possible, it is really, really good to make sure you have some sort of financial buffer in place. Obviously, that's easier said than done right now when the cost of living is just so high. And is it likely that the German government will do anything about this? Well, uh, recession or not, Germany is one of the largest economies in the world, fourth largest. It makes up more than 20% of the entire EU economy by itself. Uh, It is a very rich country, and historically, we have seen the government use that amount of financial and economic power that it has. It's no stranger to stimulus spending. We've seen trillions put up during COVID, for example, both for Germany itself and for Europe more broadly. And uh, the government often follows public opinion on this sort of thing. And recent polls now indicate that 65% of Germans say uh, the government's recently announced 200 billion euros in spending just isn't enough for the problem at hand. So I wouldn't be surprised to see some more uh, measures soon. Historically, too, we see that when the German economy shrinks, it really shrinks, but it also bounces back pretty fast. We saw around a 5% slump in 2009, a 10% or so slump in 2020, before coming back strong the next year in both cases. Uh, economists are predicting this recession could last about three quarters. Yes, that's most of a year, but at the same time, that may well be less than some other countries might end up experiencing. Brilliant. Thank you both for that. We'll be back after this short break.
Let's move on to language now. And we're talking about the German youth words of the year. So this is something that the German publishing house Langenscheid does every year. They go through lots of voting. Um, young people get to have their say. And this year, the winner with 43% of the votes is the word smash. Now, this is apparently used by younger Germans to mean starting something with someone, picking someone up, or having sex with someone. Oh. Yes. <laughs> Unfortunately, it's it's a bit of a weird word. And it is said to come from the dating game Smash or Pass, which for the older people among us is a bit like Snog, Marry or Avoid, if you remember that one. So, yeah, I know a ruder name for that one. We do not want to hear it, Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, we'll keep, yeah, you, you guys can use your imagination to figure out what that is. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, yeah, so, of course, it's not really unusual for popular slang words to be English rather than German, right? No, that's that's absolutely true. Um, that kind of reflects this general trend of English words moving into German. Uh, there's also Denglish, a lot of Denglish words. It's a personal favorite type of slang of mine. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, last year, actually, there was a word that was very, very close to my heart, which was cringe. Um, wow. And I'm by no means a member of the uh, German youth, but it actually reminds me of my youth. This was a word that we used a lot, cringeworthy, cringe basically means kind of secondhand embarrassment, um, yeah. which is just, it's just a great word. And that was the German youth word of the year last year, right? That was, yes. But they also have, there's a great German word for precisely this thing. <laughs> it's Fremschämen, which we've talked about here great before. Word. But yeah, the the young people maybe just want fewer syllables with using cringe <laughs> instead, no? Or Yeah, I mean, both are great words, let's mm -hmm. be honest. Yeah. Brilliant words, yeah. Aaron, can you tell us more about the runner up youth words for this year? So young people voted in a number of rounds for their favorite words. And by young people, we mean people younger than your, the three of us, I suppose. Yeah, teenagers. Uh, yeah, we're, we're certainly seeing the English or the Denglish um, inspirations that sort of weave their way in between the two languages. So we see Macha, uh, which you know sounds very German, but it is basically based on English doer mm -hmm. uh, or someone who gets things done. Uh, so this one got a lot of votes. It's a good word. Yeah. Another another one, and, and I quite enjoy this one, is uh, bodenlos, which quite literally translated means floorless, <laughs> but it refers to something that is just so bad that there is no limit to how low it goes. Basically, uh, an infinite abyss of horribleness, essentially. That is such a good word. Yeah. Bodenlos. Yeah. And in previous years, we've also seen popular choices, uh, English-inspired choices like lost, uh, which means what you think it does, same thing, And but even zus, which is short for suspicious, but Ooh. they use it as zus in German, in yeah. German speech. So like the German accent, zus, yeah. rather than sus. Yeah. Fantastic. And Imogen, you were telling us about a word from a few years ago, a German youth word. Do you want to share it? I would love to share it, although it, it does hurt my feelings a little bit. Um, so actually, a Gammelfleisch party, um, and that's uh, another one, I think, runner-up word of the year, um, which basically refers to a party full of over-30s. 
So you're going to yeah. find that at any of our Halloween parties. Wow, so, but that means rotten meat party. It means yes. rotten meat party. Uh, yes, obviously, once you're over the hill, uh, <laughs> you, you go out to a party. It, it's horrible. It's horrible. It, it hurts a little bit to, to say it, but it, it is a great word. I feel like half the clubbers <laughs> in Berghain would, uh, <laughs> might object to being <laughs> yeah. known as going to a rotting meat party. Yeah, maybe we need to reclaim the word. Yes. You know? Be proud so. of it. I think be we proud should. that we're over 30. I'll be yeah. using it at the Halloween party this weekend. <laughs> Fantastic. That's all we've got time for this week. Thank you for listening and make sure to check out the links in the show notes for the topics we've been covering today. Thank you to this week's panellists, Imogen Goodman, Adam Burnett and Mike Stutchberry, as well as sound engineer Rhys Edwards. Remember, you can follow us on Twitter. Our username is Germinate in Focus. And don't forget to rate and leave a review about the podcast on your podcast app if you liked us. I'm Rachel Loxton, and we'll be back again next Friday with another episode of Germinate in Focus. Until then, take care. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.